weeks as he was out uh, looking for this lost sheep, he somewhere along the way had lost his precious Bible. A few weeks later, a sheep that he was looking for comes back with the Bible in its mouth, hands it to the shepherd, and the shepherd goes, it's a miracle. And the sheep says, not really, your name's on the inside of the Bible. We look at this passage of scripture and, and, you know, we say it's a miracle what happened. It's a miracle that he stood up against such a great force, the giant Goliath. But really, you know, is, is anything out of the possibility of God? You and I would say, no, it's not. That God can do anything. And the, the, the message that we say today is that God gets the glory he was 14 years old. His name was James Pearson III. He was home babysitting with his uh, 11-year-old and 2-year-old siblings as they were watching something on the television, you know, trying to take care of business while mom and dad were out. A banging starts on their door and just persists. And finally, the 14-year-old goes to the door to see what's happening. And a lady runs in and says, help me, help me. I've been kidnapped. Around her waist was duct tape, and her arm had been broken because she had jumped out of a a moving car, so it was obvious that her face was beat up. And so he tells her and the 11-year-old and the 2-year-old to go to the bathroom and get inside, and and he'll come in a minute. All he has is a big hunting knife, and so he locks the door and hides in there, and then a man begins to beat on the door. He's the man who had abducted the the lady. As it goes, he can't get in. He's not forceful enough. The lock is too good. And so he takes gasoline and begins to spread it across the bottom of the house and lights it. All the while in the bathroom, the 14-year-old is calling his dad, calling the police, saying, there's a guy outside, here's what's happened. And sure enough, they get there in enough time, put out the fire, and the girl is safe. She's been saved. I look at that story and I think of James and I think here's a 14-year-old who had the presence of mind to know what to do to take care of someone who is in trouble. He was at the right place at the right time with the right mind and was willing to do something. We look at the story today and you see David and and like James, a 14-year-old unlikely hero, so is David, an unlikely hero. We, we look at him and, and try to imagine a 14-year-old who is there helping the nation of Israel defeat a giant. I look at that story and you see what is special and unique about David, how different that he is, and that I want to this week discover along the way how it is that God chooses those who are sometimes physically weak or sometimes downtrodden or inexperienced, and yet in the midst of those weaknesses, he proves his strength and faithfulness to us in those times of trial when we fight the giants of life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you for using us in your divine plan.
We thank you that you brought us salvation through your son, that you adopted us through him as sons and daughters of the kingdom. Please help us to face down the giants in our lives with the simple faith like David. We pray in your holy name, amen. Well, welcome back. I'm glad you're, you're back with us today. If you were with us last week, you know that we've started a, a, a four-week series on five smooth stones, the story of David and Goliath, a, a story you know very, very well against the nation of Israel coming up against their enemy, the Philistines. And here is Goliath, the, the, the Gath person who is their hero. He's, their, he's the one who's going to beat the nation. And, and yet, in the midst of that, we unpacked Goliath and talked about him last week. And we talked about the devil, our giant, so to speak, who's actively seeking people to devour, the Bible says. But ultimately, this story is of God's power to deliver people. Yes, it's a story of David and Goliath, but the underlying fact is it's God's power that delivers, Right? It's not David's power, it's not the nation's power, it's not the army's power, it's God's power that delivers. And so the story is ultimately about that. And I think what it is about this week is how that God chooses a man to act as his vessel in that act to save people. God has chosen us to be his vessels through which he speaks his message to a nation who is fighting the giants of life. I want you to think with me for a moment about David. Consider for a minute this young man who stood before the giant to fight him. And I want to think about the common things of David, like a list, if you will, of things that David is. I mean, the Bible says that he was a a man after God's own heart, right? What? What was he, though, as a person? If I was to list who he was, you know, if you list me, I say, well, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a father, uh, I'm a husband, uh, I'm a son, uh, I'm a pastor. I would list the things that I am. But what was David? I think we forget something about him. He didn't have the opportunity to be raised in a temple or a church. He wasn't raised in a palace. He was a simple, ordinary Young man, he was raised, if you will, in a pasture, in a field, raising and taking care of sheep. Though he became a mighty king, he was still a humble shepherd to begin with. He had a family, he had brothers, he had chores. He was simply a young man of his time. He did what young men of his time did. The point I want you to see is that he was not abnormal or superhuman. He wasn't Samson, you know, with with muscles rippling, uh, you know. He wasn't a Hercules figure. He was just a boy who God used, who God called to do something. Let's jump in together and learn a little bit about David. If you have your Bible with you, we'll look at 1 Samuel 17. Again, we're going to read at verse 12 together as we think about David and Goliath. Now, David was the son of a Paphrotite named Jesse, 
who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons that followed Saul to the war. His first was Eliab. The second was Abinadab. And the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Forty days of the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, Jesse said to son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul, all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated him what they had been saying and and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. We read that passage of scripture and it shows us what David was like and what he did to spend his time and who he listened to and where he went. We already know that soon he will be the one who will take on the giant and fight him. But right now, who really was the man of God chosen to fight? Three things I want us to look at. First of all, David was young. David was young. We learn in verse 14 that David was what? The youngest son. Maybe you remember the story of David's anointing by Samuel. If you look at the chapter before, you'll see some of that story. Uh, He's there, Samuel is, to anoint the next king of Israel. And he knew that he was one of Jesse's sons. So he went there to visit and to do that. He went there unbeknownst to him to anoint David he didn't know who it was now he was there because God had chosen one of Jesse's sons to serve as the next king Jesse brings out all of his sons 
<laughs> except the one God has chosen, right? He brings out everybody except David. And you know the story, Samuel moves past all the sons. I, I don't know if they lined him up, you know, shortest to highest or oldest to youngest. I don't, I, you know, who knows. But you look at that and, and you see they, they looked kingly. They were muscle-bound, they were big, they were tall. They looked like they ought to be kings. And, and I'm sure that people were looking at them, that, that one, maybe it's that one, maybe it's that one, pointing at them, imagining which one might be king. But then Samuel is not satisfied with what he sees. So his father, Jesse, says there is still the youngest, but he's out in the field watching sheep and goes, as if to say, not David, surely not David, not, not, not the youngest one. I mean, I mean, all he's fit to do is take care of the livestock. He's not kingly. He's not powerful. He's not anything that you would look at and recognize the potential to become something more. That's how they saw him is the youngest with no potential. You see, because David was the youngest, all his brothers being bigger and taller and stronger, being more king-like. But yet there's a phrase that is used there in 1 Samuel 16. If you have your Bible, turn over to 16, verse 7. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And we'll read this passage together. But the Lord said to Samuel... Do not consider his appearance or his heights, for I have rejected him. This is not the one, not this one, not these that have come before me. Then the Lord does not look at the things people look at, the passage says. And 7 goes on to say, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look at the outward appearance. We look at the guy who stands head and shoulders and go, he looks like a president. That's, that man looks like a president. But then that's not where God looks. Not at the outward appearance, but in the heart. What a powerful statement. What a powerful statement the Lord said to Samuel. What a revealing thing that they would have said. You remember the, the people had, had chimed and chimed for, for a king and they got one, but it really wasn't the one they needed. He, he didn't act very kingly at times and he did things that the Lord didn't want and so he was not going to be king forever. He looked into his heart and said no. But it does make you wonder. What was it that he saw in David's heart, a man after God's own heart? What was it this youngest one had going on internally? I think it's the best example of don't judge a book by its cover, right? You can't judge a book by its cover. You look at him and you cannot judge what's on the inside. Only God can see what is on the inside. And many of us know what happens when he passes judgment on someone before we might get to know them. You ever done that? Have you ever passed judgment on somebody without really getting to know them? You just looked at them? 
I've, I've seen people, I mean, over the years, things have changed. I mean, my father-in-law, he had tattoos. He was in the Navy and, you know, had those old blue tattoos. You couldn't tell what they were, you know, any longer. They had got to the place where they didn't look you know, like, like, what was that? You know, it, it was so badly done at the time wherever he had it done. I have a, a son-in-law uh, that's living in Japan, and they hate tattoos over there. Nobody has tattoos. If you have tattoos, you're a criminal, Right? Over here, it's like, you know, anybody can have a tattoo. I used to drive around on the motorcycle with seminary professors, and we were all dressed up in leather jackets and driving down the highway. And if you looked at us, here were these, you know, five or six guys riding motorcycles. And if you looked at us, you wouldn't think they worked at the seminary. You can't judge a book by its cover. You have to look in the inside of the heart. You look at David, and he was insignificant, so insignificant, he wasn't even invited to the party. He didn't even invite him. And yet he would be the next king of Israel. Everybody laughed at him when he went out to fight Goliath. We'll look at that here next week. He eventually, though, became the man that God wanted. I look at him and, and I think, I remember the story of Bathsheba, how he sees her on the roof and how the, you know, has her husband killed. And yet, somehow this man could be a, a man after God's own heart. You see, God looks past the mistakes that we make and can still use us. Doesn't make any difference who you are. Because when you look at the scripture, God chooses to use people who are the youngest. He uses the weakest. He uses the least educated. He uses the marginalized. He uses the sinful. He uses the forgotten. All these people God uses. Why does he do that? I, I, I think you look at that and you see that, that whatever the culture says is the, the best you look the best, you sound the best, you, you smell the best. All these things, that you're the, the best society has to offer, and yet God doesn't always choose that, does he, to use? And why does he do that? Because God intends to use the weak and the unexpected, the humble instead of the powerful, that he might get the glory, that he might show his power through our weakness that it might be known that he is there and it's not us that gets the job done. It's God, so he uses us for his own purpose. God sees your potential when you don't even see it. Can you imagine David coming up with all the brothers and, and maybe somebody's whispering in the background why Samuel is there? Looking for the next king, going to anoint the next king. And I'm sure David came up, wonder who's going to be. <laughs> I don't think even David thought it was him. Do you? I don't think he really thought it was going to even be him. You can't judge a book by its cover. And neither does God because God judges the content of the human heart. What's on the inside, not what's on the outside. So if God chooses you for a task, then your heart is right for the job no matter what the outward circumstances may say, either in the eyes of everyone else or even in your eyes. God, why have you chosen me to do this? I'm not the right person. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound biblical? 
Does that sound like Moses? Does it sound like Jonah? Does it, does it sound like Gideon? I, I'm not the right one. I'm not you. No, not me. Surely not me. And yet God looks on the inside and says, yes, you. You're the one I want to use. David was young, and yet God used him too. David was looked down upon. David was young, yes, but David was also looked down upon. Even though God chose to use David for great things, in this case, to battle Goliath, it didn't stop people from doubting him, did it? Even though he stood up and stepped up when no one else would do it, and it was obvious that God was using this young man, everybody else stood in the sidelines and doubted him. They they won't stand up. They won't step up. They won't fight Goliath. They run back in fear, the Bible says, and yet they doubt him, his ability, even those closest to him. Why are you here? When you look at that passage, that, the idea of the few sheep that are back there, you know, it's just dripping with sarcasm and anger. As it said, the Bible said he, he burned. Sometimes people look, are looked down upon for many reasons. In this case, it was his youth. A pastor was talking to a, a group of young people about the high cost of dying, and, and he, he t- started talking about Jesus and how people waste thousands of dollars on coffins and monuments. It's his opinion about how things go, but he was trying to teach a Sunday school class. Well, he, even Jesus was unconcerned about his death. He, he even borrowed his tomb, to which a young person said, well, he only needed it for three days anyway. The youth got to the heart of the matter, didn't they? Sometimes we look down on people around us because of their youth. In verse 28, of all the people to make a statement toward David, it was his own brother who really went after him. Look, look with me again at 1728. When Eliadab, or excuse me, Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger, and he asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are. This is his brother. How wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. No, he, he did what his dad told him to do, right? Go take this, go see your brothers, make sure your brothers are okay, give this to them, give this to the captain, then you come back and let me know how things are going on the battlefield. He was doing what he was told to do. I don't know why his brother was like that. I don't know why he didn't want him around. I don't know why he burned with him. Maybe he felt threatened with him being there. Maybe his presence caught him off guard. I, I, I don't know. Or, or maybe he was embarrassed because he wasn't stepping up like everybody else. Like he was there with fear as well. But either way, you see that even someone with his own family was looking down on David. Not just everybody else that laughed at him. Even his own family felt that way. To call him conceited and with a wicked heart. Is it because of his youth? Is it because of his inexperience? I, I, I'm not sure. Did his, his brother think that David really just came down to watch the battle? I mean, why did he even say that? Because David, it said, had been going back and forth. Did you read that very first? He'd been going back and forth. He'd been doing this all along. Bringing the boys food from home. 
And yet in this moment, his brother talked down to him because of what was going on. It's a tense scene, and I, I think that sometimes we look down on those who are younger and think they can't possibly know what to do. I remember what it was like to be a 19-year-old. The first I started working in church ministry full-time at 19. I was pastoring a church uh, in early 20s. And there were times when, you know, people would roll their eyes and, and say things because I was young. And I, you just don't know. You wait. You wait long enough and you'll know. I heard that so many times. You'll learn. You know, all I was trying to do was follow God and listen to him. William Carey said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things from God. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Paul said to Timothy, set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Can you be young and lead? Yes, you can. Can you be young and be right in the center of the will of God when nobody else is? Apparently, David was. But David was looked down upon. Regardless of how others defined him, David knew that God had chose him for this moment. Who will go again? Who, who will stand? Who will not let him defy the armies of God? David had successfully defended his father's flock. You know the story, and he was in the wilderness, and the animals that he fought, and he was able to do that, and he showed them that he was able to do that. You see, David's perspective on this situation and this story was, I think, because of his mindset, what he was thinking of. The armies were afraid, but David was incensed for God not for himself not for his brothers not for his dad for God if you look at 1726 David asked the men near him what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this get the word disgrace you see he was concerned about God and his testimony not the power of the people, not the nation Israel. It was God that he was concerned about. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It was God he was concerned about. Even though he was looked down upon, David did not concern, he didn't defend himself against his brother really, but he went on to talk about God. In our society, Sometimes it's really easy to want to defend ourselves. I learned a long time ago, I can argue with people about why I do certain things, but ultimately I let God defend me. I let him stand up and let him work it out. He can do it much better than I can. David was young. David was looked down upon. And third and lastly, David was God-focused. As we come out of that 
that passage, it, it reinforces what he said. Do you catch what he said? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is why the statement's shown so important. It shows us that David was never focused on anything other than God. That was it. It's all about God. It's not about me. It's not, not, it's not really about the armies. It's God's army. Not just my brothers or my friends. It's God's army. It's God's testimony. David doesn't refer to Goliath as the one who is allowed to defy the armies of Saul or Israel. It's God. He refers to God. It's his faith in God that is so much bigger than the giant he faced. You and I face those same giants. You look at this passage and you see that David, here he is, a man after God's own heart. I wonder what would shift in our lives or in our marriages, our families or our friendships if we could say the same thing. What would change in our workplaces? What would change in our neighborhoods if, if people said, they are a people, a man, a woman after God's own heart. When they see us, what do they see? Do they see that we're young or old? Do they see that we don't have power or we don't have the right skills to do something? Do they look down on us because we talk a certain way and maybe we don't sound educated or, or maybe we sound too educated? You're too uppity for us. You're not smart enough for us. What is it that people look at when they look at us? It should be that we are pleasing God, that we're honoring God that our ways align with his will and his ways, that when we make a decision like David made a decision, it's to focus on God and whatever God wants in his kingdom. There are always going to be Goliaths, right? There's always going to be a giant in our way, a, a problem that we have. And if we are like the armies and are incited with fear and doubt... Nothing will bring God glory. If we're running in fear, how can people glorify God in that? If we cower in fear when somebody passes a law, if we cower in fear because we want to share the gospel and somebody gets angry at us and we can't stand and talk to them boldly like the disciples did in their day, how does that honor God? It doesn't. God is bigger and more powerful than any giant that you face. I, I, I don't know what the giants are in your life. What are the giants in your life? Do you feel inadequate? Do you feel insufficient? Do you feel unable? Do you feel fearful? Look to David. See his faith in God. See how he stood up and he believed that God could have a conqueror for him. That the God that he believed in empowered David. Gave him the strength to stand up and he understood that 
he could do it on God's behalf. John 15, 5, you know the passage of Scripture. The Bible says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If I remain in you and, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This week, I think you should stay focused on God. I don't know what giant you'll face this week. There will be something. Something will come up. It always does. And when it comes this week, put your faith and your focus on Jesus. And remember what God says, that you will always trump the enemy when you follow him. I can do anything through Christ which strengtheneth me. When I follow his will and his way, he will help me. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done... It is for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and ask you to teach us through David, who was young, who was looked down upon, but who was God-focused. Lord, we have so much that distracts us from day to day. The enemy would distract us and would make us be afraid because of all that is about us, and yet... In the midst of that, we can be just like David. Weak, not seen as useful, inexperienced, and yet you used him. Father, use us this week to speak to someone, to talk to a neighbor or a friend, to talk to a coworker, to talk, Father, to someone about you and to share the message. When life slaps us down, help us to stand up and face the giant with faith in you. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen.